Welcome to another episode of Overthinking the Modern World. Glad you could join this one. We're actually now a couple weeks into the new year. And I gotta say, the new year is always kind of an exciting time, especially at the beginning, because you feel like you can do anything. Like, oh my God, I even if you don't have a resolution, you feel like your whole year is full of potential, which it really is, people. You know, go after it. Do what you want this year. Get crazy. Get crazy and productive. I'm excited for you. I actually got appendicitis last week. So I guess that wasn't the greatest start to the new year. But hey, didn't have to get surgery. And your boy's on antibiotics. Getting through it. And we're now back with another solo episode. The reason I like solo episodes so much and... I gotta be honest, solo episodes are the least fun to edit, watch back, and try to turn into reels or anything. But the reason that I like solo episodes so much, and I will probably continue to do them as long as I keep podcasting, is that I am able to give exactly my opinion, all of my thoughts, on a specific topic. I really get the opportunity to not miss any of my points, use some of my quotes that I otherwise wouldn't just drop in a guest episode. And while I think all my guests so far have been fantastic, truly, I always leverage their opinions on on those episodes because they have an area of expertise or they are part of a certain community that I... or had experiences that I perhaps haven't so I always like to get their opinion on on most things but in this solo episode I can really focus on the art of speaking and the art of trying to convey an opinion getting into the actual episode I want to start with actually how I got interested in this topic I've never been too political and recently I've wanted to become more aware of what's happening in society. That meant reading the news more, but what has fascinated me beyond the actual legislation and policies is how us individuals are reacting to the world, is how us individuals are reacting to the changes in the world, how individuals are viewing what's happening. I wanna talk about this concept of political polarization. And the technical definition is the divergence of political attitudes away from the center towards ideological extremes. And put simply, it is the division of human beliefs. And why it's so greatly important is because of this. If you were to consider how our identity is largely composed of our convictions, our values and beliefs, Polarization also represents the division of people. Being a part of a certain group, a political group, is part of your identity. Being a feminist is very much a part of your identity. And the reason why I say polarization represents the division of people is because political polarization does not just exist in a vacuum. It doesn't just exist in the Supreme Court or the Congress. It exists in normal human interactions. You may not be political. I historically have not been very political, but 
you could place me somewhere if you wanted to because I, much like you and every other person that has a functioning mind, has some sort of subjective view on what is right and what is wrong and what they think society should look like. The world is becoming more polarized. Democracies across the world are becoming more polarized. The writers of the book, Democracies Divided, said, Polarization is tearing at the seams of democracy, democracies around the world. From Brazil and India to Poland and Turkey, it isn't just an American illness, it's a global one. But in this episode, we're actually going to look at America specifically because whilst America is not unique as a democracy that is experiencing political polarization, America's political divide is one of the greatest if not the greatest. In this short episode, I'm going to try my very best to describe what's been happening in the US, how technology might be playing a role, if it's in our nature to be divisive as humans and the dangers of polarity. And I also want to tangent into some popular figures past and present, such as Jim Jones, who created the People's Temple cult, Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States, and Andrew Tate, a polarizing media personality, social media personality. The US is more polarized than ever, for sure. It's shown that 60% of Democrats regard the opposing party as a serious threat to the United States. And for Republicans, that figure approaches 70%. There's really no doubt that the US is becoming a more polarizing place. Studies showed there are far less people holding a mix of positions politically and far more holding very consistently liberal and consistently conservative positions, which means if you imagine the political spectrum as a bell curve in the past with a, most of the people lying closer to the middle and fewer on the extremes, what's actually happened is it's flattened. So there are less people holding positions in the middle and more people on the extreme ends there are more extremists than ever before and there are few there are far fewer that stand in the middle donald trump who was president from 2017 to 2021 was america's most polarizing president by a wide margin as agreed by political scientists the most polarizing president ever and guess who was the second most Abraham Lincoln, who was the president during the American Civil War, the deadliest military conflict in American history, with over a million casualties, or three percent of the population, they were actually they were literally fighting to abolish slavery. And Donald Trump is more polarizing than Abraham Lincoln. And before we continue, I need to drop two definitions. The first is ideological polarization which refers to how far apart members of each party are on actual issues. So how much do we actually have a difference in opinions? This has remained relatively stable. What has changed in the last 60 years though is effective polarization, which is how much people of one party dislike members of the opposite party. And over the past 60 years, it's gotten much worse. Essentially, Many Americans hate each other more than ever, but they don't disagree with each other more than they used to. 
there are a lot of contributing factors and theories as to why the country is becoming more effectively polarizing and why democracies are trending towards polar extremes. And why I use the word theories here is whilst it's relatively straightforward to study where Americans stand on on the political spectrum and how they view each other, for example, you know, how would you rate the average Republican? If you gave that to a Democrat, that would be that was not extremely hard to do. But it is hard to definitively rank exactly what's causing the gap. It's a lot harder to ask why. It's the same as asking, hey, why do you hate the other side so much? When it's a lot easier to just say, how much do you hate the other side? One to five. So there's a lot of factors and theories here that we can look at. And the three that I want to focus on are definitely amongst the biggest factors. The first is the actual politicians having a profound effect. I mentioned Donald Trump earlier, and we can really just look at his presidency to see how he polarized so many Americans. There's actually this pretty funny video out there where Donald Trump, it's a compilation of Donald Trump talking about how good he is at certain things. So it's around 26 things that he claimed to be the best at. And what he said is, no one loves the Bible more than I do. No one is fighting for the veterans like I am. No one is more pro-Israel than I am. Nobody respects women more than I do, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, no one knows as much as infrastructure or visas or debt better than I do. Donald Trump was a, with a lack of a scientific term, a balls to the wars kind of person. He was extremely polarizing. As mentioned prior, even more polarizing than Abraham Lincoln. In the previous episode, we talked about Black Lives Matter with Dr. Dave Thomas. And during the riots, Trump called the protesters thugs, terrorists, and anarchists. He used similar vocabulary for describing the radical left, but he gave sympathy to those that stormed the Capitol, saying, oh, go home in peace, and you're very special. He essentially turned the sides against each other by calling the other side things such as terrorists and anarchists. He was a very effective politician because he was so polarizing. And it comes from this perspective of being a leader, which is, it is often better to play to your most extreme constituents, your most extreme followers, because it's more strategically advantageous than going for ideological moderates. So it's better to play to the people that care for you the most or support you the most than it is going for those that are indifferent, mostly indifferent. You want the extreme followers, the extreme voters that are spreading your word, essentially. Only two-thirds of the American populace is voting. So if you're mostly indifferent, you will likely not vote. Cults are not created by lukewarm followers. Jim Jones and the People's Temple was a very famous cult during the late 70s. And if you've ever heard of the term drinking the Kool-Aid, this is where it comes from. And I'll tell the story very briefly. Jim Jones created Jim Jones was a white American and created the cult known as the People's Temple. And it bounced around to a few different places and ended in Jonestown, Guyana. 
what resulted was they had some interactions with uh, the government where his co-members killed some journalists and I believe a politician, uh, right, a congressman. And then Jim Jones forced his cult to poison themselves doing mass suicide. And how do they do this mass suicide? They drink cyanide, sorry, Kool-Aid laced cyanide. So they put cyanide in the Kool-Aid and force everyone to drink it. Children were first. People that didn't want to do it were mostly forced into doing it. And there were some survivors that ran and um, were just not in town during that time. Yeah, so Jim Jones forced his followers to drink the Kool-Aid. Fun fact, it wasn't actually Kool-Aid, it was Flavor-Aid, but that's where the term drinking the Kool-Aid comes from. So that's where the success of cults lies, in playing to the extreme followers, and also coming from a cognitive dissonance of its members refusing to believe they've been tricked. There was a quote out there that said, you know, if you were to suddenly leave, you would have to admit to yourself I was being deceived. This probably applies to debate in general, that it's harder to change your perspective because then you would have to admit to yourself that you were wrong or you weren't very logical in the past. And that's why I think when you argue with someone and you really want them to change their perspective, you shouldn't be mean about it because no one wants to agree with you once you're mean about it. That's a good rule for having debates or discussions with people. The second factor is perhaps that the stakes are now higher than ever before and we're dealing with the same problems. Recently, there were two instances of mass shootings in California, if you've heard, and these two incidents were very rare that I've never seen perpetrators of this demographic, and it is retired Asian men. Um, One of them was 65, I believe, and the other one was 72, and they were Asian men. And that really just never fits the profile of a mass shooter. Anyway, there has been an upward trend in active shooter incidents in the US over the last 20 years. And if you step aside from that, you can really feel the fatigue in everyday people. When another shooting happens, everyone's thinking, oh, like, what's going on? How is this still happening? That's what a lot of us in Australia were thinking. We always looked at each other and thought, how are these problems still going on? The stakes for certain issues are now also higher. For example, with climate change, there is now overwhelming evidence that climate change is occurring and being accelerated by the humans. And every year, it becomes a greater problem with irreversible consequences. And this is where one of the biggest divisions lie. 94% of Democrats think climate change is a moderately big or very big problem, whilst only 41% of Republicans do. Another example of stakes being high in the modern world is the overturning of Roe v. Wade, where the Supreme Court ruled there's no longer a federal constitutional right to abortion. It means that abortion was not protected, essentially, across the entire United States. And what that resulted in is total abortion bans in 13 different states. So it came came with very heavy consequences for women all over the U.S., particularly in those states. In the previous episode, I talked 
about Black Lives Matter with Dr. David Thomas and the state of policing in America. But if you look before the 2020 Black Lives Matter riots, preceding that, there was the Los Angeles riots in 1992 due to the beating of Rodney King. And before that, there was also the civil rights movement that started in 1954 that lasted for 14 years. So the same problems are occurring in the United States as viewed by most Americans. Maybe many people in the modern age feel the need to engage in politics more than ever. Dante Alighieri said, the darkest places in hell are reserved for those who maintain their neutrality in times of moral crisis. The third and final factor, theory factor, for why the US has become so polarizing in recent years is the introduction of social media, these online echo chambers. Barack Obama was actually the first president to harness social media in his campaign. He did that back in 2008. He used podcasting, Twitter, MySpace, Facebook, and YouTube to garner support. Around 74% of internet users sought election news during Obama's first campaign, and it's only increased since then. So 55% of the entire adult population was looking for election news online. Some direct influences from social media were during 2020 when U.S. officials accused Russia, China, and Iran of trying to influence the elections through fake Facebook and Twitter accounts. It is definitely inconclusive how much social media is polarizing us because it's such a recent invention. But it's pretty obvious if you've ever used social media that it will continually deliver you the most extreme versions of what you believe in. The more you feed certain content, the more extreme the content gets delivered to you, right? I mean, if you've ever installed TikTok or Instagram or YouTube and you've scrolled through things and, you know, you just watch things for for a few seconds and then all of a sudden you just get more of this person and then more of this person. And at some point I'm thinking, I don't even agree with this that much. I don't agree with this that much. And it's actually very hard to counteract this because... There was this study in 2018 that showed when you expose people on social media to different viewpoints, it actually makes them dig into their own heels and reinforce that viewpoint even more. So if you were left-leaning and you got material from about the right, you would probably become more left-leaning or it's not extremely beneficial to sway you. It just makes you more extreme. And there has been some intervention, people. Twitter tried to change the rate at which content goes viral. They actually try to slow down retweets. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram have banned certain content, uh, banned certain users. These sites, they're not just completely uncensored content. This isn't just the free internet. It's not like the dark web where you just get anything. And then if you watch enough of something, everyone's going to see it. It's, it's very censored. And whether you believe in censorship or not, it does occur on these platforms, without a doubt. Many popular social media influence figures that have risen recently are extremely divisive. And when I was talking about censorship, many of you might have been thinking of this one person. And I spoke about Donald Trump before, but you know who's actually exceeded Donald Trump's search interest on Google? Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate is another perfect example of people gravitating towards extreme 
polarizing figures. And what's interesting about the internet, as I just said, Andrew Tate exceeded Donald Trump's search interests, is that a person like Andrew Tate can have more visibility on the internet than a former president of the United States. You could not find that in traditional media. You would not see more of Andrew Tate in a newspaper than you would Donald Trump. What's fascinating about Tate is that because he doesn't occupy a conventional job, own a public company, or plan to go into politics, he delivers completely unfiltered opinions. And let's really just talk about him for a second. He has undoubtedly said some pretty absurd things. An example is his takes on mental health being non-existent. I feel like with some of these figures, they just feel the need to comment on anything that comes their way. I mean, there's never a, ah, oh, I don't really have an opinion on this because you really shouldn't. You're not an expert at all on mental health. And then also Andrew Tate has Hustlers University, which costs $50 a month, which is really complete bullshit from what I've read. But if you were to say Andrew Tate has never said anything remotely credible, you would be wrong as well. You would be wrong as well. Something Tate preaches about is the importance for men to be successful successful financially. And that's quite a scientific take. It's reinforced by female hypergamy. There is more emphasis on men to be financially successful. And there's a lot of generic self-help content here too. You know, it's not really that awful. It's not incredible advice, but telling a lonely, sad man to better themselves through hard work is not something particularly enlightening or controversial. It would be hard to say that that's very controversial. A lot of his content is just telling men to, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And as someone that's read, started reading in the genre of self-help, that's pretty generic shit. That's not that helpful, pretty generic, not controversial at all. What Andrew Tate has done really well, much like Donald Trump, is polarized the world. He really utilized that shock factor in becoming popular and has turned many people against each other when talking about him. Tate has some very loyal followers, no doubt. Very loyal followers, but also many haters. But try to mention his name in any non-negative way and you put yourself in the hot seat often i talk to my brother about these kinds of people and these kinds of things the way that i try to view people is i look for what is what i agree with and what i disagree with i think it would be very hard to be a complete follower of a figure like that uh, or a complete follower of, of anyone for that matter that about wraps, wraps up the three points the three main theories and factors that I wanted to talk about that contribute heavily towards polarizing the United States. But I did want to mention something that I found quite interesting that I stumbled upon, which is the fact that it is within our human nature to be divisive. It is of human nature to engage in groups to not only support our own group, but to desire to dominate the other. There were quite a few studies on social psychology that demonstrate that as humans, we easily favor members of our own group, no matter how arbitrary that group is. And you can see why I am kind of bringing up this point last, is that I am trying to demonstrate that perhaps it is very natural for us to dislike the other and stick with our own groups. It's very natural for us to participate in group-like dynamics. 
team-like dynamics. Henry Typho created a social experiment where factions of a single group develop conflicts against each other as byproducts of competition. In this experiment, in this experiment, there were 14 to 15-year-old boys, for kids from a school in Bristol, randomly divided into two groups, and they were essentially given a goal of maximizing profits by distributing points between their group and the other. And it was shown that the significant majority chose to allocate money for the good of their own group and were most concerned about creating as much difference as possible. They did not care as much for the greater good as much as they cared for the net difference between the groups. And in his original paper, he concludes, can discrimination be traced to some such origin as social conflict or a history of hostility? Not necessarily. Apparently, the mere fact of division into groups is enough to trigger discriminatory behavior. The fact that we are divided into groups is enough for us to discriminate against each other. We don't need a history or a justification. We just need to be separated into groups and boom, I'm not going to like you. So we don't need to build legacy. We can just do blue team and red team and boom, you have discrimination. You don't need necessarily hundreds of years of war and conflict. You just separate into groups arbitrarily. There was a uh, funny Rick and Morty episode where there was the uh, flat concentric nipples race versus the cone nipples race. And it was completely arbitrary. I mean, it's just nipple shape, right? But in that episode, they were waging war against each other. And I think that was actually, I think maybe that the creators of Rick and Morty read that study. A similar experiment that proved this is the Stanford Prison Experiment, where people were separated into prisoners and and guards. Immediately, there was so much tension between the two groups. Um, it was more of an experiment on the power dynamic and how, given power, many humans are going to really relish in it and become essentially have a power trip once given power but it showed that the prisoners immediately i mean the separation between guards and prisoners were very arbitrary as well but immediately the two groups found solace in each other the guards were like oh yeah let's fucking get these prisoners and the prisoners were like oh no the fucking guards are terrible we gotta stay away from the guards a frightening conclusion about human nature is drawn in these studies because our division into groups is very natural i mean we differ on so many things we differ on race gender sexual orientation sexual identity appearance size and and more and most of these things we can't change and regardless of how arbitrary you might think our differences are it's very natural of us to have division based on those differences and beyond things that we can't change we also differ by our human experience and our culture but to close up this point i want to leave this thought you know we love to talk about we absolutely love to talk about conquering our enemies and silencing our haters but i have this cool quote from abraham lincoln which is do i not destroy my enemies when i make them my friends and supported by this quote quote by Friedrich Nietzsche which is the man of knowledge must be able not only 
to love his enemies, but also to hate his friends. The world is becoming undoubtedly more polarizing, especially the United States. There is no doubt about that. And what we can do as individuals is to be educated, to think for ourselves, but also to be open-minded, to not be blindly swayed into hating the other group, going against these natural impulses, perhaps, of assuming the other is idiotic, illogical, hating the other simply because they are the other. Charles W. Pickering said, A healthy democracy requires a decent society. It requires that we are honorable, generous, tolerant, and respectful. I hope you enjoyed this mini episode. It was truly a blast thinking through some of these topics and researching them. So I really do hope some of it resonated with you. If you have any feedback, you know how to reach me. I would love to talk about it. And once again, thank you for joining me on another episode of Overthinking the Modern World. I hope the rest of your January goes well and I will see you on the next one. I have some really exciting stuff coming up, some really interesting guests coming up as well. Very new perspectives, trying to branch out a bit more. So I appreciate the patience with everything. I mean, I the production quality is going up. I hope I'm speaking better and I hope I'm asking better questions in the guest episodes, really. On that note, I'm signing off. Thanks.